0: that you just bless this time in the study of your word. We thank you for this wonderful time of worship and that, Lord, as we go into this book, the book of Job, um, it can be a book that can be kind of difficult to to look at and read, the circumstances, the losses. But, Lord, we know that it's written for our benefit and it's written for us to learn and and to um, also just uh, to be encouraged and to know that there's hope and to help us to be able to minister to others that are really going through difficulties and and trials. So speak to our hearts, Lord, tonight, and I know that we can come in, and it's been a long day for a lot of us. I know perhaps some perhaps haven't even had dinner yet. Lord, feed us with the Word of God now. Keep us awake and attentive, and bless this time as we study your Word. In Jesus' name, amen. So we were introduced to Job. He's from us, and we know from the book of Lamentations, chapter 4, that us ended up being where the Edomites uh, were settled. And so it's in that area around the Dead Sea, just east of the Dead Sea, uh, the Edomites being the descendants of Jacob. Now, Job is the oldest book of the Bible, and Job perhaps has taken place even before Abraham comes on the scene. And we are introduced to, to Job as being a man. This is according to God who is uh, uh, upright and blameless and not that he was sinless but he had great godly integrity he was one that uh, feared god and shunned evil and those two things go together if you want to shun evil there needs to be a fearing of god so that was god's uh, assessment of job now keep that in the back of your mind and remember that as we go through this book because as many of you know that Job is going to experience tremendous loss here. And one of the things that happens is his friends are going to come along and try to give him counsel. And one of the things that they will say is, Job, you did something wrong. You sinned. There's a problem. Your children sin. They don't show a whole lot of compassion, but they begin to accuse Job. And according to God, we see here he is, that is a man that's blameless. He, he is upright. He was one that cared about his children. He loved his children. And he got up and he would sacrifice, give a burnt offering on behalf of every one of his children, all 10 of them, after the feast days. And he was a man, a father, that really desired to make sure that his children were you know right with God and He wanted to to minister uh, the things of God to them and again it's important for you and me as as parents and especially as uh, you dads that we give that sacrifice of time to the Lord in praying for our children and in presenting them before the Lord and that's the kind of man that Job was dedicated to his family. As we go through this book, we will point out. That as Job was wealthy, we see he had a lot of camel and sheep and oxen and, and things like that. And that was just a measurement of their wealth back in those days in ancient times. But he was one that was very kind. He was uh, one that helped them under privilege. He would uh, help the orphans and the widows. So he was a good steward of what God had given to him. So here is Job introduced to us, and and just the greatest of those in the East, of all the people of the East. And God is saying not, not because he was a man of great prestige and power and popularity, but because he was a godly man. So as Job is introduced to us, then we see this heavenly scene that takes place. And in that heavenly scene, there is Satan before the throne of God. And God says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? And it was Satan that said, yes, I've considered him. I've studied him. It's a military term that I've watched him, and and he uh, is just worshiping you. He, he's the way that he is, upright and, and walking in godly integrity, only because you've put a hedge of protection around him. And in a way, Satan was mocking God, saying the only reason that he worships you and walks with you is because you pay him off, because you have that protection around him. So the Lord would allow that Satan would be able to stretch out his hand uh, against Job, and that's where we're going to pick up our text. He said to Satan in verse 12, behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. I just want to remind us that the spiritual realm is very real, that Satan is very real. We know from Revelation chapter 12 verse 6 in that heavenly scene that it tells us that Satan is the accuser of the brethren who accuses us day and night. And if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, the scripture tells us that he's going to accuse you before God. And he doesn't just do it till five o'clock and checks out. All right. And he punches out and say, that's enough for, you know, uh, you know, for that believer, or for Pastor Jeff, or who you might be as you're just growing in the Lord, as you're learning, as you're serving the Lord. He's going to continually be accusing you. He's going to be accusing you saying that you're a rotten person, that you're no good, that you're a spiritual waste. How can God love you? He accuses us day and night. And Revelation chapter 12 goes on to say, which I think is important for us to remember as we talk about Revelation chapter 12, verse 6, that they would overcome the enemy, Satan, by, first of all, the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of testimony, second of all. The blood of the Lamb, that I belong to you, Lord. I am forgiven because you died on Calvary's cross. I am saved. I have been redeemed. I belong to you. And second of all, that the word of testimony, that your word is true and you love me, Lord, that's what your word declares. So that's how Satan is overcome, but he will come against you and I, he will consider us. It reminds me of the night before Jesus went to the cross. He turned to Peter and he said, Peter, Satan has been asking for you and he wants to shift you like wheat. And I'm sure that Peter got a chill up his spine when he heard the Lord say that. Satan's been asking for you, Peter, by name and he will ask for us by name and he wants to shift us like wheat. But Jesus went on to say that I've been praying for you, Peter, and I am so thankful that we have an intercessor with the Lord that intercedes on your behalf and my behalf as we just realize that, Jesus, I belong to you because you died on Calvary's cross, the blood of the lamb, and the word of testimony is is that I'm in your hand, just as we talked about in John's gospel a couple weeks ago. He's the good shepherd, and we're in the Father's hands, and we're in Jesus' hands, and no one will pluck us out, and we can take those promises that God has given to us and be established in them, the word of testimony. So now we're going to see that Job's going to go through tremendous loss. Let's pick up our text at verse 13. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen are plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. So kind of picture here, it seems like a normal day. Uh, the oxen are you know, there plowing, doing what they're supposed to be doing. The donkeys are out in the field just feeding beside them. And then all of a sudden... All at once, we read in verse 15, the Sabaeans raided them and took them away. Indeed, they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another also came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another also came and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands, raided the camels, and took them away, yes, and killed the servants with the edge of the sword and I alone have escaped to tell you. And verse 18, and while he was still speaking, another also came and said, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they are dead, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Now this is tremendous loss, isn't it? Tragedy all of a sudden comes and it comes at once, and that's one of the things that, as you stop and really ponder and put yourself in Job's situation, that it's a normal day and things are going along, and all of a sudden these messengers come, and before the one finishes his message, that hey, that you know the the oxen have uh, been uh, killed and and the servants killed, and all of a sudden the camels they're they're killed and. The servants are killed, and all your servants are gone, and now your children as a great wind came. And it all happened at once. This message of this great loss, that he lost everything. He lost his wealth. He lost his servants. He lost his family with the exception of his wife. And this loss would come as the tragedy comes. God allowed it. Satan was behind it. And we know that it came by different means. It came by fire, it came by death, it came by thieves. And the tragedies and losses that we can go through in life will come by different means. And sometimes those losses, those difficulties and trials will all of a sudden seem like it's one on top of another and and, and it can be especially hard when that happens. Now we see here that Satan does have supernatural power. But what I told you in, as we introduced you know, Job in this heavenly scene that we saw in chapter 1 here and just talked about, that Satan is not the opposite equal of God. Satan is a created being. He was Lucifer, an archangel, a worship leader is what Ezekiel gives us indication as we read his book. But then he became prideful, as Isaiah tells us. He wanted to sit on the throne of God. He wanted to be one that was worshipped as God. And then Jesus would say that, I saw Satan fall like lightning to the earth. And so he became at that time a fallen angel. He is one that is called the God, little g, of this world. He is called the prince of the power of the air and he is powerful and he is real and he has a host of fallen angels that are called demons, fallen angels, principalities and powers, as Paul would write there in Colossians chapter 2, and also in the book of Ephesians, as he tells you and I in chapter 6, we're to put on the whole armor of God. And we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. So the demonic realm and the spiritual world out there is very, very real. You might recall that it was Elijah, the prophet that prayed to God, open the eyes of, of my servant here. And his eyes were open and he saw the angelic beings all around the Syrian army there in Second Kings and, you know, the fiery chariots. And, of course, he was astonished at that. I think if God would allow us to see the spiritual realm around us, it would be so overwhelming. So it is real. But Satan is not the opposite equal of God. And notice here that God is allowing this to happen. Satan is behind the tragedy. And what makes the book of Job very sobering, very somber, very serious is, we read this and we think, why would God do that? And that's going to be the great question of Job as we go through this book, and we're going to see that that discussion is going to go on with Job and his three friends. It is a discussion that oftentimes that we have with others when we go through losses, isn't it? Because I think that a lot of us, if not all of us, that we understand that I'm in the Lord's hand, that, that he's in control. Why would he allow these things to happen? And the discussion goes on. Is it because he's punishing me? Is it because he doesn't care about me? Is it because there's some sin in my life? Is it because of this? Is it because of that? And that's the discussion that we're going to see that Job's going to have with these three friends. And Job here, a man who is upright, godly integrity, shunned evil. He fears God. One who loved his family. One who was blessed of Lord. All of a sudden he lost everything. And we're going to see his response here As we continue on, it's an amazing response. But we're also going to see the struggles that Job is going to have. And we're going to see that he's going to be hurting. And he's going to be wrestling. And he's going to be wondering. And those are some of the same things that definitely you and I will go through as we go through loss and tragedy. And my prayer and hope is that as we go through the book of Job, that we will get greater understanding of God's goodness and faithfulness. And we know that James would write about Job in, in chapter 5, and, and he would say concerning Job that, that you know um, that you heard of the perseverance of Job and seeing the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. So by the time that we get to the end of this book, we're going to see that Job's going to learn that God indeed is very compassionate and merciful. And we're going to understand that when God does allow things to happen in our lives, it's so that we can grow in perseverance and mature in our faith. It's for His glory and for Him to work, to to manifest His working and His glory in our lives And I've seen that pattern as we've gone through even John's gospel, the man who was born blind. Why is that man born blind? Is it because he sinned or his parents sinned? No, but that the works of God may be revealed. Oh, Lord, chapter 11 of John, if only you had been here, my brother Lazarus wouldn't have died. And Jesus said, it's for your sakes that I wasn't here, that the glory of God may be manifested. So God is working somehow, some way, in working in us, and his glory being revealed somehow, some way, and we don't understand it all, and we will go through those struggles in our own lives. And they're very, very real. And I th- hope and pray that the book of Job helps us as we have those kinds of feelings that he's going to have, those kinds of struggles and wondering that we can know that God still loves us and cares for us and very compassionate and merciful. And that's what Job would find out. And he would persevere, and he would mature, and he would see the goodness of God. But right now, he's really going through a great, tremendous loss. And and I read in verse... 20, that Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and he fell to the ground and worshiped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I w- returned there. Shall I return there? And the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. And blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. So we see that he reacts to his losses. He mourns by shaving his head, tearing his clothes. But he did something absolutely amazing that I think that you might want to even underline this, and that is that he worshipped. In verse 20, he fell to the ground and he worshipped. Do we worship when we go through trials? And I know, I'll speak from experience, that it can be very, very difficult for me when I'm going through a trial or something really is weighing on me or when my heart is hurting, that it can be hard to worship. But here, Job, he worships. And that's why I try to encourage you as we come in to read a psalm to you and, and to encourage you that you that come in have had a hard day perhaps have gone through a difficult uh, time, whatever that might mean, that we have reason to worship. We have reason to worship because we have the Lord. And He is true and He is faithful to His Word to us. And the Lord desires to work in our lives, and and we are redeemed, we're forgiven. We have reason to worship, but it can be difficult to worship when we have those things weighing on our hearts when we've gone through hard times. And here we see that he utters this profound faith. He looks back to when he was born. I came into this world with nothing. Everything that we have has been given to us by God. Everything that we have. We came into this world with nothing. And so every good gift comes from above, as, as James tells us, and we can be thankful to the Lord, His provision and how He has given to us and how He sustains us. And then second of all, he says, as he looks to his death, he said, naked I will return. We know that we can't take it with us, can we? Paul would write to, to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 7, we brought nothing into this world and certainly we won't carry anything out. That's why it's important, I know for me and for for you, but the Lord's pressing this on me more and more, to always keep that eternal perspective on things. This life is is where it's at. And to make sure that we're investing in the kingdom of God, to make sure that as Paul writes to the Colossian believers, to keep our eyes on the things above, not on the things of this world, because the things of this world is going to go away. And I understand that we work hard, and we make a living, and we enjoy certain things, but we are not going to take anything with us. And what we do for Christ, that's what's going to last for eternity. So that's why he tells us, make sure that you store up your treasure in heaven. Make sure that your priority is heaven, and that you are living for heaven. And as we understand that, you're not going to get so attached to this world. And the things of this world. Be a good steward of what God has given to you. Because every good gift comes from above. But also keep the proper perspective that we're not going to take anything with us. Naked I came into this world. And he, he said, naked I'm going to return. And then he looks up to heaven. And he says, blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord gives and the Lord taketh away. And in the time of suffering and loss... Do you and I say, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Again, we may not understand everything. I'm sure Job doesn't understand everything that's going on. But we can understand the love and the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God, and that He promises He'll never leave us or forsake us. So, chapter two, we see again this heavenly scene. Uh, Satan's not done accusing Job. And again, there was a day that the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, "'From where do you come?' So Satan answered the Lord and said, "'Going to and fro on the earth "'and from walking back and forth on it.' And then the Lord said to Satan, "'Have you considered my servant Job? "'And there is none like him on the earth, "'a blameless and upright man, "'one who fears God and shuns evil.' And still he holds fast to his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without a cause. So once again in this scene, have you considered my servant as Satan presents himself before God? This dialogue going on again. Now remember that Job, he doesn't have any idea that this has taken place at all. And God says he's still upright, he's still blameless, he, he fears me. He has godly integrity, even though I allowed these things to happen by your hand. And when God says that you incited me to do this, it isn't God that's saying, you pushed me into this. Kind of like how you and I that we're told to provoke one another for good works. Well, what happens oftentimes is we can provoke one another, you know, for bad works. Especially, you know, we start bickering and fighting and and going back and forth and all of this. You know, just kind of, you know, kids can do that. When we have kids, kind of provoking one another. Well, they pushed me into that. They made me do it. They made me so mad and all of this. What we're to do is provoke one another for good works. And so it isn't that God's saying you pushed me into this, but God is using it for his purposes. And know that Satan doesn't give up easily. He returns to God's throne to accuse Job once again. And he's going to do that with you and with me. He's going to keep coming at us. And especially when you're growing in the Word of God, especially as you're growing in the things of God, being used of Him, serving Him, and, and, and just, you know, you're, you're growing in faith. He's going to come after you and me. And He's going to continue to do it until the Lord takes us home. So He returns and, and to God's throne to accuse Job and We read in verse 4, So Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yes, all that a man has he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, but spare his life. So we see that um, Satan says, Let me at him directly, skin for skin. Surely he'll, he'll curse you. So Satan is given greater allowance to attack Job but it's not unlimited allowance. Now, I want to say this, not all physical affliction comes from the enemy. Sometimes Christians are taught or they have the mindset of I am sick and it's because of the enemy. I don't believe that all physical sickness or affliction comes from the enemy. But here in this case, we see it does with Job. And again, it shows us that he does have supernatural power. You know, one of the things that uh, I was reading in the Gospels um, is, remember when Jesus was in the boat with his disciples, and there was a storm and Jesus was sleeping in the boat, and the disciples woke him up and said, don't you care that we're perishing? Now remember that some of those disciples were raised on that lake. They were fishermen. They've seen storms, but this one was really bad. And they thought they were going to go under. And they said to Jesus, don't you care that we perish? And Jesus stood up and he said, you of little faith. And he would cry out, be muzzled or be quiet to the storm. If you have a King James, I believe it's be muzzled is what he said. And all of a sudden the the winds calmed and the storm went away. And that phraseology, be muzzled, is the same phraseology that he would use in casting out demons. So many Bible scholars and commentators suggest that that storm was demonically stirred up. And you think about it, it makes sense because God's whole program is in that boat. If I can drown the disciples and drown Jesus, there's no cross, there's no you know, book of Acts, any of that. There's no redemption, there's no church. So it makes sense when you think about it. Be muzzled, be still. So here Satan is allowed to to strike at at Job, and we read in verse 7, Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took for himself a posture with which to scrape himself while he sat in the midst of the ashes. So here we see that um, Job is afflicted very severely. Uh, there'd be severe itching. Verse 8, he's scratching or scraping himself, and he goes outside the city and he sits on the ash heap. Now, I want you to remember this. Oftentimes, there will be those who will say that you're suffering or you're going through trials or difficulties because you lack faith. Job isn't going through this because he lacks faith. Job is going through this because he has faith. And God is allowing it for purposes that we're going to continue to look at and discussion that we're going to see. And again, it, it, you look at this and the loss that he's gone through, and now he's full of boils. I mean, it can't get any worse than this. Oftentimes, we will go through trials and difficulties. And I just want us to know this at this stage in our study. is not because we lack faith. It's because we have faith. And the enemy comes against us. And I know that Paul the Apostle, that he went through tremendous difficulties and trials. And it was Paul that was afflicted physically. He had a thorn in the flesh. And he says that he prayed three times in 2 Corinthians for God to take this thorn in the flesh away. And the Lord said, no, that my grace is sufficient. So I think that Paul qualifies as a man of faith. And he was one that went through physical affirmities himself. He was on a second missionary journey going up into Asia wanting to, and the Lord put him flat on his back to where he ended up going over to, to Greece, to Philippi on that second missionary journey into and, and Achaia and Macedonia. So here is Satan again hitting him hard. But Job is going through this because he does have faith. And you see, when you and I have faith and growing in that faith and being used of the Lord, the enemy is going to accuse us and he considers us and he's going to war against us. So here is Job. He's in a very difficult, you know, uh, time and loss. And and in verse 9, his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as one of a foolish woman speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God, and shall we not accept adversity? And all this Job did not sin with his lips. Job's wife. Now she does tempt Job to curse God. She tempts him to to sin. And that's something that Satan wants Job to do, to, to, to curse God. But before we're too hard, because oftentimes I hear teachings on Job's wife that, you know, how terrible she was. And even though she tempts him, I think we need to show a little bit of compassion here. She's hurting too. She's hurting too. I mean, she has lost her children. And she has lost everything. And her husband now sits there in the ash heap, in the garbage heap, full of boils and she's experiencing all this emotion and it's emotions that we can experience and sometimes we express those emotions that because they're real and they're powerful. And I think that's what's happening with her. But she's hurting here too. And Job, this amazing man, he's honest with her. And he says something that I think that is important for us to, to really understand and and to get into our hearts. We accept good from God, shall we not accept adversity? We accept good, shall we not accept adversity? And in those times where the adversity comes, that we don't understand why it's happening, and it's a tough situation, but it is something that we know as here is Job that he's lost everything but his faith. He's lost everything but his faith. And my prayer for, I know that I pray is, Lord, I don't want to lose my faith. I don't want to lose my faith and my worship of you, whatever comes my way in life. And the way that we can be established is, is that we're established in the word of God because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God but sometimes as we go through those tough emotions and stuff and it can be very draining it can be very powerful it takes a lot of energy out of us doesn't it and for you who are going through a loss or grief right now you know that to be true that where every day it can be a struggle it can be a real struggle and that's very real. The discouragement, or perhaps the depression, perhaps the hopelessness, the wondering. And those things and emotions are very, very real. But I want you to also know that even in the sorrow that you can have, that you can still have the joy of the Lord. I think sometimes that doesn't quite equate with us. We're not talking about happiness because happiness is dependent upon the circumstances. Hey, I got that promotion at work. I'm happy. Or everything's great in life. I'm happy. But even when we go through sorrow and loss and difficulty, do you realize that you can still have joy? And joy is something that is much, much deeper. Joy is not dependent upon circumstances, it's dependent on our faith in the Lord. You see, he desires to put that joy unspeakable into your life and into your heart, even during those times. It's just that assurance that, Lord, somehow that you're working. Lord, somehow that, that you see me, you, you know what I'm going through, you hear me, and, and Lord, your promises are true. And it does take sometimes a while for your emotions to catch up with what the Word of God has to say. Do you understand? And sometimes we're there kind of, Lord, you don't love me. Lord, you don't see me. And I'm sure those were the feelings that Mary and Martha were going through as they waited for the Lord when their brother Lazarus died. Here they are. Oh, Lord, if only you have been here That Lazarus may have lived. And I think that Mary and Martha were saying that to each other for four days. Oh, if only the Lord was here. Only if he knew. Only if he saw us. Going through that struggle. Going through the loss. Going through the real grief. Oh, Lord, only if you had been here. Only if you had been here. And the Lord knew exactly what was going on. And the Lord was going to work a plan that we're going to see. A mighty work that's going to bring the glory of God as a witness to all the people that are going to see Lazarus come forth from the grave. And we can know that, Lord, you want to bring life and you want to bring hope and you want to bring strength. You want to bring wisdom and direction. In my situation, where I experienced loss and difficulties and pain, so the hurt can be very, very real. And the reason I'm kind of pressing this point because sometimes as Christians we feel guilty. Well, I'm not a man or a woman of faith because I'm grieving right now. Shortest verse in the Bible we saw on Sunday, Jesus wept. And he groaned in his spirit. He was troubled in his spirit. I think the whole thought of, of loss and sin and death and what it brings to people. And you see we go through those real emotions and you know, sometimes people will be insensitive like we're going to see Job's three friends saying, just get over it. You know, not a, you, know you need to, you know, chew glass and tough it out, Job, and all of this. And, and we forget that people are really, really hurting. And that hurt is real. But listen, in the sorrow, you can also have joy. And that's why it is important that we worship. And that's why it's important that we don't pull away from the Lord. But it's important that we draw closer to the Lord. That's why it really bothers me, guys. When I hear, you know, of those who want to work with people and counsel people, that we're going to help you find your inner strength. Because I have a feeling there may be a person or two here tonight and in this situation where you're hurting, you're going, I have no inner strength. I mean, find your inner strength. I think a lot of us have gone through a season in our life where there is no strength that's there. I need the strength of the Lord. I need the wisdom of the Lord. I need the comfort of the Lord. But there's no inner strength in me. And that's what's so wonderful about being a Christian in a time of loss is that he desires to draw us to himself to where we come and we come to a fuller understanding that he is our comfort, that he is the one that truly is our help, that he's the one that leads us beside the still waters, that he's the one that's going to, to give us what we need. And work that in our lives, and to help us to persevere during the difficult times to where we grow in faith, because we're seeing the goodness and the working of God in our lives. But if it's left up to me, I'm going to continue to, on a downward spiral in discouragement and despair and hopelessness. So here is Job, remarkable, but he's still going to struggle. And he's going to converse with his three friends that aren't going to be a big help. Let's read about those three guys in verse 11 of chapter 2. Now, when Job's three friends heard all this adversity that had come upon him, each one came from his own place, Eliphaz the Temanite, Beldad the Shuite, and so far the Naamathite. for they had made an appointment together to come and mourn with him and to comfort him. And when they raised their eyes from afar and did not recognize him, they lifted their voices and wept, and each one tore his robe and sprinkled dust on his head towards heaven. So they sat down with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his grief was very great. So we're introduced to his three friends. Eliphaz, he's probably um, the oldest. And he is first listed, so that's why they believe he's the oldest. He's the first to speak. He's associated with Timon in a place known for wisdom. The second is so far and our Beldad and then Sofar. Now they come and they sit with him. It's not a comfortable place. Remember he's in the ash heap. He's in the in the dump is where he's at. And here's the thing. If you really want to bring comfort to someone who is hurting, Are you willing to sit with them in a difficult place? Are you willing to just, first of all, sit with them? They don't say anything for seven days. I think this is the best ministry that they did throughout the whole book. (laughs) Just sitting with him. They looked up. Here's Job. He is full of boils. He's been afflicted so much they didn't even recognize, and they wept and lament. And the scripture says the word that... You know, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. And sometimes it can be very difficult to go and be with somebody who's really hurting, who's really going through it. And we think, oh, that's difficult. And, and I don't even, you know, they're through, going through such hard times. It's, it's not like it usually is. It's different. They look different. They talk different. But are you willing to, first of all, just sit with them? Just sit with them and be there for them. And these guys sit. They think they're going to bring comfort to him. Job's going to call them miserable comforters. So they are sitting with him, and they are there with him. You've got to give them that much. I hope that you are used with the Lord to be with that person who is just hurting. And I'll tell you one thing, that when we were introduced to Job, one of the things when we started to study last time, I said that I pray that the Lord works in us is to be able to minister to those who are going through real loss and trials and difficulties, to be able to better minister to them. As we go through trials, as we go through loss, you're going to have more compassion, more sympathetic. You're going to really... Feel the heart of somebody because you've been through loss as well. Listen, if you've been through very difficult times or loss or grief, you can be used to minister to others who may go through a similar situation or loss or difficulties that you do. You can feel their heart, can't you? You can. You have more compassion because you've kind of sat in the ash heap with them. You have sat in the same place. And you've experienced some of the same feelings that they've gone through. And the same hurts and the same questionings and the same wondering. Sometimes we think that we can only minister to people if we're the theological expert and and, and great philosopher or have great intelligence. People just want to hear your heart and for you to touch their heart and to see your compassion, and to listen. So here are these three guys. As I said, Eliphaz, he's one that he's from Teman, a place known for wisdom. He's going to base his counsel on two main things. Number one, he's going to base his counsel on experience. What we're going to see is Eliphaz is going to say repeatedly, I have seen, I have seen, I have seen. Do you know a lot of people do that? They want to help people, but they, you know, emphasize experience. I have seen, I have seen, I have seen. I just want to emphasize something that you guys know this, that it's okay to, to, you know, talk about experience, but always give them the Word of God. And you never want to take experience over the Word of God. The Word of God is our final authority. And sometimes people will say, I had this experience, And the experience will trump what the Word of God has to say. The experience will contradict what the Word of God has to say. And again, when people are really struggling, going through difficulties and trials, we're going to see as we go through the book of Job that Job's going to say things because he's wondering, he's struggling, he's really wrestling with things that aren't biblical. And we can do that. And people that were ministering can do that because, again, the emotions are very strong. And it takes a little while for those emotions and those feelings and the hurts to kind of catch up with the Word of God. But as you're ministering to others, make sure that you're giving them just simple Word of God, comfort from God's Word. The verses, the comfort, the psalms that we can read to them. And that's what's really going to bless them. So he's going to base his, you know, um, counsel on experience And then we're also going to see that Eliphaz was a legalist into tradition. He has no room for grace as he's ministering. And then there's Bildad. Now Bildad is second, probably the second oldest of the three. He would speak after Eliphaz, and we're going to see that he's a legalist. He's going to say, behold, God will not cast away a perfect man. He's going to be one that's going to quote from ancient Proverbs and He's going to have a great respect for tradition. He's going to say that your children died because they're sinners and he really has no concern or feelings for his hurting friend Job. So really he isn't much of a friend here. Now so far, he only speaks a couple times. He speaks, matter of fact, twice to Job. But he's like a bull that will run you over. This guy, so far, is really what I see as someone who's arrogant. Because he says, in that time he speaks to Job, know this, know this. Have you ever come across to somebody where you're confused or you know, you're looking for direction, looking for comfort, and they're going, know this. You need to know that. I told you so. He, so far, kind of reminds me of the college professor that boasts in his intellect, and you know, he's putting down a freshman that's what this guy is kind of like. So again, he's one that is going to know this and know this and, and just kind of bowl over Job here with no compassion whatsoever, without any caring heart. And anytime they that if you are one, that, that you're just going to, with no compassion, you're going to be a legalist or you're going to be one that you know, is arrogant and know this. And oftentimes, especially when somebody is really going through loss, don't give the mindset that I know it all. Because you don't. You don't know as much as you think you do. And it can be real arrogant. If I, if I minister to others that are really hurting, I know it all attitude. And this is why, when you don't know why. And even as we go through this book, we're going to see that God's going to speak to Job, but never directly tell Job why he allowed these losses to happen, except Job's going to see, again, the goodness and the faithfulness and the mercy of God. Why is this happening to me? Oh, I know. And that's what these guys are going to kind of do. So whenever you have just the know-it-all attitude, the legalistic attitudes, or just base everything on experience, you're going to keep that person in the ash heap. Rather than bringing compassion and God's word and comfort and prayer to them and touching their hearts, are we understanding? Give them truth, yes. It's kind of like Peter well, we're going to see when Jesus, and we're going to get into that section of John, the last week of Jesus, the last few days of Jesus, that John spends a lot of his gospel in when we get into chapter 13. And then he goes to the garden, and you know the story how Jesus there is, is arrested, and um, they come to him, and Peter, who is wanting to be so brave for Jesus, all oh, I'll stand for you. All these other guys may run away, but I won't. I'm going to really stand for you. I'll die for you, Lord. And here they come. They grab Jesus. And there's Peter. He pulls out that sword, little sword, and he starts swinging it around, and he got an ear, didn't he? Malchus, servant of the high priest, plop goes the ear on the ground. What a mess. I mean, real a mess. And Jesus picks the ear up and puts it back on Malchus' head and heals him. Don't forget, as you put on the whole armor of God, that you take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. But don't start swinging it around where you start chopping off ears. Do not start swinging it around where you're chopping off ears when people are hurting. And people are questioning and wondering. And I understand that there are the times where we give gospel and we give God's truth to those who are in rebellion against God and they don't want to hear it. But you make sure to the heart that is tender and bruised and hurting that you don't swing that sword to where you're chopping ears off and making a mess of things that you bring them Jesus and you bring them comfort and you bring them hope. And what we're going to see, these three guys, they're going to fail in that. And we're going to see that these three guys are going to come and they're really going to bruise and start chopping away at Job with what they have to say. We'll begin to look at that next time. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for this study. And, Lord, it is a a heavy book that perhaps we can get into, but there's so much to learn from if we just take the time and consider. And, Lord, we want to have that faith. We want to worship when we go through the trials, but we also know that the emotions are there. You've given us emotions and emotions can mislead us. They can really bring us down. They can take the energy away from us. So Lord, we know at those times that we're just overwhelmed, that we can come to you. And Lord, just even the cries of our heart that you hear, even if we don't know how to express it, and Lord, you are the only true comfort. The second Corinthians chapter one tells us that brings comfort in all our tribulations. And Lord, you're the one that brings hope <clears throat> and ministers strength. And Lord, sets our feet upon the rock. And You're the one that establishes our thoughts. And so tonight, may we ponder this, that when we're overwhelmed, when we're grieving and going through loss, or wrestling or wondering, the place of safety is you. We know that we will have tribulation in this world. So Lord, how we need you. Just as we sang tonight, oh, how we need you. It isn't about our inner strength. It isn't about self-motivation. But, Lord, when the fear comes, and the uncertainty, that we come to you, our Heavenly Father. So, Lord, I do pray tonight if there's anyone here that's just overwhelmed, that's going through difficulties, that's wrestling with all these different things that we talked about, that, Lord, that we can still worship right now. And in all things, as Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica, in all things when we're in the trials that we can give thanks because you see us and you hear us and you have a plan sometimes we think we're done in and we're finished and how's this going to work Lord in no way to have the mindset of Jacob in the book of Genesis as he said all these things are against me rather than having the heart of Joseph his son who said that you're working for good. So Lord, help us to be established as we commit ourselves to you. You promise in Proverbs 16 that you will establish our thoughts. Establish our thoughts. Give us that, that ounce of strength that we need and that joy, that joy unspeakable even though we are hurting, even though we go through sorrow, that joy unspeakable because we know that you are there with us and you promise you'll never leave us or forsake us and you know everything that we're going through and even in those times where we're grieving, so deep, the depths of our hearts, it just cries and hurts that you're there. So comfort your people. And the day's When we go through the struggles, that we would always turn to you. Find comfort. So, Lord, we thank you that we see a man, Job, who was upright, who was going through it. We don't understand why, but we know that you're working. And we see the example of Job worshiping. Lord, I pray everyone here would go home encouraged and blessed knowing that you're a loving God who promises to work all things out for good for those who love Him, who are called according to His purposes. We may not see it. We definitely don't see it when we're in the middle of it. But somehow, in eternity's perspective, you're working for good. And not only to trust in you, but to rest in you and in your love. So, Lord, I pray you take everyone home safely.